Welcome to the Free From Wall Street Podcast, where we talk about how to create, preserve, preserve, and pass on generational wealth without the roller coaster ride of the stock market. And now, here's your host, Stephen Libman, managing partner of Integrity Holdings Group. Well, thanks for tuning in to the Free From Wall Street Podcast. We have Megan Greathouse here today. Megan is a former Marine vet. Thank you so much for your service. And she has been doing some interesting things to kind of get out of the rat race, get away from kind of the volatility of Wall Street, while also building a business that allows her to spend more time with her family and more time with her kids. So welcome, Megan. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So I'm excited to talk to you a little bit about the why, and we, we touched on this a little bit before, before we started here, was kind of why do people do this? Why do people try to look into these alternative investment models? And so I, I'd like to dig into that, but why don't you give us a little bit of background, kind of where you came from, when was the first time you started looking into some alternative investment vehicles, and you know, who, who turned you on to it? How'd you go down the road? Yeah. So sure. Um, I grew up a military kid, actually. So I, you know, moved every two to three years, lived overseas for a while. My life was pretty normal growing up in terms of, you know, working parents, good childhood, um, except that we moved around a lot. Uh, and as I was going to college, I came to St. Louis, Missouri, which is where I live now because I have a lot of family here. And uh, thought, you know, I, I'm going to go do this corporate thing. It'll be great. I'll make money. I'll kind of, I'll buy a house. Just kind of the standard things you hear people talk about. Um, and then about halfway through college, I thought, um, or maybe I want to join the military. <laughs> so I ended up also joining the Marine Corps after undergrad. And it was as I was graduating from college that my dad gifted me for my graduation a few books. He handed me Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover because I was coming out of school with a little bit of debt. He gave me Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I think it's by Thomas Stanley, The Millionaire Next Door. So he gave me three really great books foundationally for personal finance. And then of course, Robert Kiyosaki's book kind of makes you think about just beyond the standard save 10 or 20 or 30% of your income so that you're ready when you're 60 to retire. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad started to seed the ideas that there are things besides just putting your money in a 401k or an IRA and hoping for the best 30 or 40 years down the road. But by then I was in the military. I was, uh, you know, I had signed my name and I enjoyed my time in the Marine Corps. I, I had fun with it. But as I was coming out of the Marine Corps, I had a few different options. I was looking at different things to do, and I decided to use my GI Bill benefits to go back and get my MBA. So this was great because it gave me a good working knowledge of the business world, how finance works, and it got me into a really great paying job after the fact too. And that made me able to start really putting money away. I had been doing it all through the Marine Corps, and I ramped it up with this job to try to look at some alternative ways to invest and to fund a lifestyle where I felt like I had the balance I want. And I think that's what it boils down to for me is even if you love your job and the work that you do, at the end of the day, a lot of these jobs require 40 plus hours of your week. It requires commuting. It requires answering to bosses and having to apologize if you're not feeling well or your kids are sick. It's a great point. Even when I loved my job and the people I was working with, I hated that part of it. I did not like having to apologize anytime my daughter was sick 
and I needed to leave work to pick her up or trying to move around a ridiculous number of, of meetings to get her to the pediatrician. So that's kind of how I got into real estate, which is my main method of finding passive or at least semi-passive income that can give me more balance. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, I've never heard it put that way, but it's so true that when you need to take some time off, even if it's paid time off or even sick leave or you have family leave where, yeah, you are calling into your boss and saying, hey, I'm really sorry, but my daughter has the flu. It's like, what are you apologizing for? Right. Like, you didn't have any control over it. Yeah. The fact is, is that companies know that people are going to need to take time off. But yeah, there is that culture, right, of I have somebody to answer to. And I always joke around and say, I'm the worst employee. Uh, I'm unemployable <laughs> because I always looked at things in a way where we were always trying to either make it better, right, which can create some strife in a work environment, especially mm-hmm. when you're trying to lead up the chain of command. And people don't always take those criticisms well or those suggestions well. So, yeah, it always felt like I was walking on eggshells when I worked for somebody else, right? right. And it was like, the shoe could, could drop at any time. We can get into it. And that's what led me to real estate too. I was like, you know what? If I just do this on my own, I'm fully accountable and I don't have anybody to answer to. And, you know, the goal obviously is to get that lifestyle balance so that you can spend time with your family, spend time with your kids. So let's talk a little bit about the real estate business. So what do you own? How'd you get started? Like, let's get into kind of the rentals. I know you own a 10 property portfolio at this point. Is that right? Yes. Now, are they all single families, multis or? No, so that's 10 units across four buildings that we own in St. Louis. Okay, cool. So you have some two units, some quads, something like that? Yep. Yeah. So we've stayed so far in the small multifamily space just because the financing is certainly easy to get even early on, you know, especially the position that my husband and I were in when we first started. And I've kind of led the charge with the real estate, but obviously it's both of our finances going into it. We both had really solid, high paying corporate jobs. We had um, great credit. We had money for down payments. And so those two to four units were very, and some single families that we we did some work with early on, but we've sold them since. Um, it was easy to get financing in that you know conventional space. So definitely something that will scale up in the future. But right now that's where we are. So you didn't have to raise any capital. You guys just use savings. Yep. And what's what I mean, what's I don't know that St. Louis market, how much does a duplex in St. Louis typically cost? Yeah. So, I mean, like a lot of markets, it's going to vary a lot. But St. Louis is absolutely one of the more reasonably priced markets, I would say, in the country, being that we're in the Midwest. It's not like it's one of these coastal cities where prices can get pretty crazy. Uh, So just thinking about a few of my duplexes, we have some ranging from... I think 130,000. It needed a little bit of work, but 130 was the purchase price. To I think our most expensive one was 230, um, and you can certainly get higher priced duplexes in this area depending on the neighborhood. But those duplexes that we have are in some pretty solid neighborhoods. I mean, they are by no means places I would not go or spend time. They sure. attract good tenants. Um, they're not ritzy, but they're they're solid, and the price is not bad. Yeah, I mean, I think kind of the middle of the road type properties that you're talking about is the sweet spot in any multifamily. I'm not looking for class A multifamily buildings where, you know, they actually tend to be a little bit more volatile when markets start to go down. Absolutely, Because those people can all move to the class B if they need to because of job changes. 
Yeah. And then the war zones, right? When they're doing well, they move into a little bit more affluent area. But if you mm-hmm. own them there, they can have some price movement as well. So yeah, that that middle class working family where I'm not afraid to walk down the street is kind of what we look for as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm there. So when you guys are looking for properties, are you looking for something that you can go in and do some renovations and create some value? Or are you just looking for cash flow right off the bat or some a combination of both? What are you looking for? We started mostly with looking for the cash flow. So we were both working the full-time jobs. Um, and I was, I was doing this kind of just in my spare time. I do it, you know, early in the morning before my daughter was up or at night after she'd gone to bed. And, uh, we had a lot going on. So I started with just looking for stuff that was pretty much rent ready. I didn't mind doing a little bit of work. I had done some due diligence to find a good agent, a good contractor, a good property manager, but I wasn't going to take on anything too crazy at that point. Uh, as we've gotten a little further down the path, we've done a couple, um, we've taken on a couple that were kind of slow flips. So we owned them as rentals for a while because they were cash flowing well, but we knew that we could put work into them and make some money down the road. And then we've bought our last two duplexes needing a lot of work. That's been since I've left my job and we put the time and effort and so you can money. manage that better. You have more right. time to manage the general contractors that you're hiring, stuff like that. Exactly. And I can, <clears throat> I can be checking in on it on a regular basis. I can um, kind of keep everything organized, stay on top of the budgets without feeling too frantic. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And that's great, right? Because then you get to go in, you're lo- buying it at a lower basis. Are you typically doing like a bridge loan to a permanent finance after it's done and stabilized? Or how, how are you working the financing on those heavier lifts? So we have used pr- a private um, lender that I've met through some of my networking efforts here in the area. And I started a, a local meetup in the area that's been great, really great for some of that. But we have a, a wonderful private lender that we've been working with for a couple of years now. He will lend us purchase plus renovation, assuming that we're staying around that 70 to 75% of after repair value. Mm-hmm. And uh, we pay him monthly until, um, and he's really great. I mean, he doesn't even charge us points or anything. We'll pay him monthly until we've done the work, got it rented, and then we go to our conventional lender, and she is really great as well and knows us and has done seven or eight loans with us in the past three years and at least, and she'll refinance us into a 30-year fixed, and we pay off the private lender at that point, and um, for the that's next how we deal. do it. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Yeah, so it's a great strategy because every house that you're taking down, are, are you guys cash flowing on average a certain dollar amount per door or does that vary as well? I mean, it varies. I would say an average would probably be around 200 to 250 per month per door. So, but it's, it's been a little hard to put our finger on sometimes because A, I finally just got us to QuickBooks this year. So the, the reporting and tracking will be a lot better going forward. The big step but, though. We did it, right. <laughs> it was like five years in my business before we did that. So it was good. I, was, I was resistant at first. I was like, I, I know spreadsheets. I can do this, right? Yeah, this. Like, a couple of years in, I was like, what did I do? <laughs> Why did I not start with something like QuickBooks? But yeah, so we've, we've also just poured a lot into making these the best that places that we can make them. Our, our goal here is not to be making income off of these today because my husband is, is happy where he is right now and we're kind of in building mode, but to make these properties as solid and stable and rentable as possible. So we've, we've put a lot of money back into them too. But when, we, when I dig in, we're generally somewhere around that 200 to $250 per door 
mark and that's with, you know, financing on all of them. So a pretty yeah. healthy spot to be starting and it'll only get better as our tenants pay off our mortgages for us. That's it, right? So that's the thing is you get principal pay down, right? Mm -hmm. So you're paying down the mortgage, you're cash flowing some passive income on a monthly basis. Yeah. Your tenants are really taking care of, you know, what they need to take care of. And then who's managing it for you? Are you self-managing? I am now. I actually started with property management earlier on. I think one thing that I, and this is something that, you know, we'll probably go back to management in some form, maybe hiring someone of our own in the future. But yeah. I think that the quality of your tenants, the quality of your relationship with your tenants and your ability to keep people for longer has a huge impact on how well these properties perform for you. You can put all the due diligence into buying a good property, into renovating it and making it the best it can be for the tenants who are looking in that market. But if it's not well managed, people aren't gonna be happy, they're not gonna stay. Or if just repairs and maintenance aren't well managed, they don't have good people going through, everything costs way more than it needs to, you're not gonna be cash flowing. So I wanted to be a little more hands-on with that in the short term as we were building. And since I stepped away from the full-time job to focus on this. Um, so yeah, I self-manage now. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons that we decided to go into larger scale buildings. Cause I have some friends here in New Jersey that own a couple hundred units now, and it's all duplexes to quads. Wow. And third party management got expensive, right? It was between eight and 10%. And then as they scaled, they were able to lower the cost, but it was difficult to manage the managers for them. Mm -hmm. So he ended up bringing his sister in full time and now she runs kind of the project property management arm of their company. And when we started researching, like, what are we looking to do to create passive income, right? We stopped wholesaling and we stopped flipping because it was very transactional. Yep. It was a, it was a high paying, highly taxed job. Right. And we wanted to get to something more passive. It was always the goal to have something more passive, and we thought it would be single families, duplexes, and quads that we would be purchasing because we were already in that space, right? We were mm -hmm. finding those deals. But as we started speaking to some other mentors, they were like, well, look, anything works, right? It, it's just like a diet. If you do it, it will work. Uh, if you don't, it won't. Right. But a couple of our mentors were saying, look, if you can get out over that 75 unit mark, then the economies of scale really allow for third-party managers to come in at 4% right? Yeah. Instead of 10%. And they're, they tend to be much more professional outfits because they're managing large scale buildings. And as we started looking at that, we were going, all right, yeah, that makes sense. And everybody that I've spoken to that has kind of smaller multifamily, they have run into some management issues. And it's because it's difficult to run that many units as they start to spread out, right? If you get to a right. hundred doors of smaller multifamily, then you're almost guaranteed to have to bring that in house because the economies of scale just will will help dictate that so yeah yeah i've heard that before it's it makes sense the fact that you don't have a ton of partners and you can self-manage and still cash flows is amazing right because that's that's the lifestyle balance i think one of the the mistakes we made and this was even in the wholesale business was trying to create a business that everybody else told me i should mm -hmm. create versus create the business that i wanted for my lifestyle right. Because you can have a smaller operation and be just as profitable, if not more so sometimes, than trying to, to scale to a large team and a lot of management and stuff like that. So yeah, 
Yep. But important to be introspective about that and say, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing and what does it help me accomplish, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to get principal pay down, passive income, long-term appreciation. You get depreciation off of your mortgage interest and things like that too. Mm-hmm. Are you guys doing cost segregation studies on your smaller units? We are not. No, we haven't, we haven't gone that route yet. So I can shoot you an email, but I have a friend of mine who works with a remote company that'll help do, because uh, cost segregation studies, for those that don't know, is an engineering report that basically breaks out the entire building and says you can accelerate depreciation on these pieces. It sometimes can be as much as 30 to 40% of the total cost of the project, right? So if it's a $100,000 house, 40 grand potentially could get written off in year one. It tends to be cost prohibitive for smaller properties because it costs a lot of money to do. There is a, uh, an accounting firm that will defend their cost segregation study. And all you have to do is send them measurements in a floor plan and give them kind of estimate ages of things. And for $350, they'll send you a cost segregation study so you can take those, that depreciation benefit. That just changed with the Trump tax plan. So you couldn't do it before on residential, but now you can. So if you're wow. interested in, in learning more about those guys, that I know my buddy, he ran, I think, 40 or 50 properties through them. And at $350 a piece, it added up, but he didn't pay any tax last year. So that's fantastic. Yeah. So yeah, lots of different ways to skin a cat. I mean, it's, we've learned everything from other people around us. I've never had a unique idea, (laughs) but yeah, there's definitely a, a range of different alternatives from the wall street model. So being in the military, you probably had a TSP. Yeah, we do. We actually, those still kind of are just floating out there. (laughs) So my chief operating officer was a civilian contractor with the Navy for 16 years. He was doing cybersecurity and systems operations. And he rolled his TSP into some of our larger projects. And we've been having a bunch of conversations with folks right now because the government is allowing you to take $100,000 out tax-free and not pay it back. So With the volatility of the market, yes, it can go up. Yes, it can go down. But I know a lot of people, especially military folks that we've been talking to that are taking a good hard look as to whether or not they want to tap a hundred grand from their TSP and do something like you're doing, which is kind of get out of the box, right? Mm-hmm. Out of the, the typical Wall Street box and maybe buy a single family rental, maybe passively invest into a large multifamily deal. But now is kind of the get out of Wall Street jail free card. <laughs> For the first time, I think ever, they're allowing you to take, since the creation of the 401k or the TSP that they're allowing you to leverage that capital and not pay it back penalty free. So something to to think about for our listeners, and that doesn't need to be TSP money. That could be 401k money, IRA money, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. So interesting times we're in. It is. And I think these times are just a a great example of the reason to have some diversity in whatever you're doing for how you pay your bills, how you save for retirement, how you kind of create the life that you want. Because if you're, if all your eggs are in one basket and something like this happens, it's rough, you know? And fortunately for people like me, my age, who have still IRAs and and things out there, because we have money out there that we've, we've put out there, we've left it out there. I, I don't need every single dollar that I invest to be in real estate. When I see that there's market volatility, my reaction is just not to log into any of my accounts for a while. Like, just don't, don't show me. I don't need to know. Something will sort itself out later. But there are folks who are just being caught 
at the wrong time. Folks who have been scraping for a long time to try to make sure that they're going to have a comfortable retirement. And guess what? This year was the year it was supposed to start. Yeah. And what's going to happen? Yeah. My dad passed away about six years ago and he lost about half of his wealth in the stock market crash of 08. But then he passed away. He didn't live to ride the wave back up to the peak of last year. So, I mean, that's just kind of the chips fall where they may when you're mm-hmm. in that kind of investment. So, and again, just because the name of the wall of podcast is free from wall street, doesn't mean that we're anti wall street. It just means that you should diversify at least some of your downside risk so that you have some semblance of a plan for retirement because hope isn't a strategy, right? We, we right. know that the market will come back, but it's interesting that you say, you know, my strategy is to not look at it. If you did that with your rentals, right? That business would fail. Right. Wall Street is the only place that I know that that's actually a strategy. I'm a part of a couple of Facebook groups <laughs> for retirees or people close to retirement. Right. And every, the, the advice across the board is don't look at it. Just leave it alone. It will come back. And I understand why they say that, right? Because you get emotionally invested when you see things start to tank and you want to pull your money up. And mm-hmm. that's, that's a bad idea because when you right. <laughs> buy high and sell low, you lose money. But yeah. also that can't be the strategy, right? Just to bury our heads in the sand and not have control. And this is why I think the people that are in real estate like real estate because yep. they can control to a certain extent what's right. going on, right? Mm-hmm. And even in this uh, coronavirus crisis right now, we have tenants, uh, about 80% of them are still paying on time. And that means our mortgage is getting paid. Our investors are getting paid. You know, we might be taking a haircut right now on distributions, but that's okay. I mean, right. that's, that's what owners do, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I think hedging that downside risk is, is a part of why alternative investments are something that you should look at, right? Absolutely. Well, and because I, you know, my strategy right now with any of my investment accounts, my Roth IRA and 401k is to not look because there's nothing I can do about it anyway. If I move my money, it's going to be worse for me. I can't call anyone at any of these companies and say, hey, could you please get investors to stop (laughs) freaking out so that your stock price can recuperate? I can't do that. But when all this hit, I was able, I proactively sent an email out to all of my tenants and I said, hey, this is crazy. Here's our response to it. Here's how we're handling maintenance and repairs. Here's how we're handling this. Oh, by the way, if your lease is up in the next two to three months, we are happy to keep you on at your same rent rate. And hey, if you think you're going to have trouble paying, please let me know immediately and we'll start working on some options for you. And I was able to work with them proactively. Fortunately, 100% of our tenants were able to pay their rents. They had no issues, at least for April. Hopefully it's the same for May. But if not, you know, I have other options there as well. So I was able to step in and work with people and work on my business to make sure that it kept running and we kept making the money we needed to make. And it's communications key during times like this, right? I mean, it's, this is where you want to be proactive. You want to go talk to your tenants. If you're a tenant, go talk to your landlord, right? If you're listening to this and you don't know where you sit, everybody's in this together, right? Nobody wants to evict tenants when this is all over. Nobody wants to not pay their mortgage if they're an owner. So let's all work together and let's keep people housed. And, you know, a lot of stimulus coming through. I I know 80 million people are getting stimulus checks today. 
So yeah, a lot of good things happening in the background and it creates some good opportunity. The people that are over leveraged right now, they might have some trouble making mortgage payments. They might want to get out of those properties, right? So you might be able to even find a couple more multifamily rentals in this market if your eyes are open. Exactly. Exactly. So there's, yeah, I mean, this is a crazy time, but it's great for reminding us of some of the kind of essential foundational things that you need to understand for investing and for building businesses is a great time to learn. It might be a great time to get started now because yeah. of the opportunities that are coming. So yeah, I think there's a silver lining here. Totally. So speaking of learning more, uh, yeah. you're going to be speaking at a pretty cool event. Tell us a little bit about that, when that's going to be, and then how people can find you. There are a few great other former military or current military folks putting on a conference called Veterans REI Live. Uh, it is not for veterans only. It is being put on for veterans and all the proceeds are going to veteran related charities. But it's for anyone who wants to learn about real estate. We've got a bunch of veterans from all the different branches who are coming together and we're each going to speak on a topic that uh, we know well from what we've been doing in real estate. So I'll be talking about buy and hold, how I've kind of built up what I have and kind of the, the basics and the, the foundation of the buy and hold strategy. And so, yeah, it's unfortunately, we were going to do it in person. It's going to be virtual at this point. We've got to keep everyone safe. But we are May 29th and 30th. We will be doing this event virtually. And yeah, I'm just, I'm really excited to be able to share during this time. Hopefully there are people out there taking advantage of maybe a little bit of extra time at home right now. Yeah. And uh, they can log in, learn from some really motivated and fun people who are, are trying to share what we each know. And you can also find me in the meantime. I like to share just what I'm working on, on Instagram primarily at part-time empire. Part-time empire. I like that. That's a great yeah. name. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. So people can go to veteransreilive.com. Correct. Right. And they can sign up. So again, it's not just for veterans. Of course, it is serving our veterans, which I love because they have laid down their lives to serve us. And now we can help them get more financially solvent and create that retirement that they so much deserve. But if you're a real estate investor at all, or you're on the fence about becoming a real estate investor, this is a great virtual event. It is going to be well worth the cost of it. How much does a ticket cost? It's I mean, I think we're at $199. It might even be down to $99 for the, the virtual event. I mean, it's not a huge expense. You're, it, you're talking $1 to $200 for yeah. two days full of content from at least 20 different um, folks who are actively yeah. working in real estate right now. Smart people in the business, people that have created real businesses and real lifestyle changes. Some of the people that are on stage have mentored me personally when I was in the single family space and have, they helped me scale my business to almost 20 deals a month. So that's great. If you got, if you're on the fence about sitting down for two days and listening and learning, then this event is not for you. If you understand that this is going to create a lot of value in your life, then go to Veterans REI Live, sign up, follow Megan on Part-Time Empire on, <laughs> on the gram. I'm going to go ahead and follow you right now. Awesome. So thank you so much for being here today. And I really appreciate your story. I wish you the best in all your endeavors. I'll probably see you virtually at REI Live too. That sounds awesome. Thank you so much for having me on and for all that you're doing to educate folks. And yeah, veteranslive.com. Look us up, buy your ticket, look me up, ask me questions if you want. I'm happy to connect with all. Awesome. Thank you so much to the listeners. Thank you for listening to the Free From Wall Street podcast. We will check you next time. Thank you for listening. 
Like what you hear? Be sure to subscribe and head over to freefromwallstreet.com and sign up for our free guides to help you and your family invest with purpose. 